Many times we feel paralyzed by fear and body hatred. In order to feel better about ourselves and live the life we really want to manifest, we have to own up to our difficult feelings and self-sabotaging thoughts and behaviors. We all enter this world naked, and now it's time to feel good naked. No matter what your body size or your life circumstances, this is Feel Good Naked Radio, and your host is Lar Redmond. On this program, Lar will help you become more embodied, self-empowered, and mindful to take charge of whom you really are and to live the life you deserve to live. Now, here's your host, Laura Redmond. Hello and welcome to another episode of Feel Good Naked Radio. I am your embodied guide, Laura Redmond, and today my guest is Madison Taylor, who is the co-founder and editor-in-chief of the very popular Daily Ohm which is an inspirational website and newsletter. Madison is a recognized leader in self-help and new thought spirituality. She has more than 20 years of experience in personal development and alternative healing methodologies. And she's just put out her new book, which is entitled Unmedicated, which is awesome. I love that title, Unmedicated. She's also the author of international best-selling books. She has a number one billboard recording with her line of guided meditation albums. And I'm really stoked to have her on the show today. So welcome, Madison Taylor. Thank you. I'm happy to be with you here today. I want to know when Daily Ohm began, because I'm trying to figure out in my own memory when I first saw it. A lot longer than we all think. We actually launched way back in 2004, so it's it's been a long, long time. Lots of healing going on in those years for lots of people. I'm just so impressed that you started something like Daily Ohm, and for anyone listening who doesn't have it in their inbox, we'll give you the info at the end of the show. It's something you really do want to receive daily in your inbox. It's just helpful and grounding and not too much to read, which I think in the inboxes of today, they can be a little overwhelming. But when Daily Ohm started in 04, I must have gotten into it around 07. And it was such a great tool in my own healing. So thank you for coming up with such an innovative idea at that time to start a daily email I want to hear a little more, though, about how it grew into this, you know, millions and millions of people now, I'm sure, are on your list. What is your amount of, um, how many emails are now part of those that you send out? Uh, we have a little over 2 million, 2 million subscribers that receive our daily message every day free to their inbox. Uh, that's really, really taken off. Wow. In the last few years in particular, but we've always had a really steady run, and it really warms my heart to know that so many people are reading not only positive messages every day at the same time, but helpful messages as well. And that was really the inspiration to starting the company with my husband was we wanted to help shift the planet and... Uh, he had a dream, a literal dream, not a, a fantasy dream. And so we both quit what we were doing and, and launched it together. And um, we're so pleased with, with how it's going and the, the, the feedback we get and the, the emails from people. I mean, I get emails from people that say, I was going to kill myself today, and I received an email that changed my mind. So that's pretty powerful stuff. It's so powerful, and whenever I first found it and I would get that daily email, I remember reading maybe a few of them a couple of days in, and I thought, who is the brilliance behind this? And then I saw your name, and I loved the way it was spelled, Madison with a D, and I became a follower. So how did you start your mailing list? Because clearly with two million more coming on, that's just so amazing. How did it build, and how did it grow, and how did it start? Well, so my husband and I work together. He, I call him the brain, and I'm the heart. So I take care of all the content, and then he takes care of running the business. 
And, you know, back in 2004, we had something called Pop Unders, which we don't have anymore. So it's really not a, um, a tool that we have available to people anymore, but we would pay for advertising. Um, I don't remember if on your computer screen, if you would close out a window, an ad would pop up, and they were called Pop Unders. And so we would have this beautiful daily ohm bamboo and a nice little message saying it would be free in your inbox just sign up here and that's how we got really our first probably half a million subscribers that way and then to be honest um, from there it was the snowball effect people shared it with their friends and they signed up so we were really lucky in that way and also um it's hard to think in these terms, but back in 2004, there wasn't a lot of daily emails that people were getting. That came years later. So we were really one of the first daily emails to be sent to people um, when inboxes weren't so crowded. And so it was easy to have people sign up back then. It's just an incredible example of what I believe, which is the greatest businesses are built with a healthy foundation, and that to me is defined by people telling people, telling people, telling people something that means something to them. That is what we used to call word of mouth. And I don't think you can really beat that sort of foundation for a business. Well, that's right. And, you know, of course there's people out there that don't like us for whatever reason, and that just, you know, is part of growing big and being seen more, but um, that is really our best advertisement is people sharing it with their friends, and, and they do. They send it to 10 friends at once, and I have some beautiful stories about yoga teachers printing out Daily Ohm and reading it before their class, and I have email from prisoners in prison that read Daily Ohm, so, uh, and, you know, we're global, uh, any yeah. English speakers, so we're we're affecting the whole planet, and and that was the goal was to help create that shift and to help awaken people and to help people on their journey. Because as we all know, when you start to become awakened and you start making changes in your life, it's really really difficult, and um, we all need somebody to hold our hand and to help guide us. And so we wanted to be that for people as well. Well, your intention is truly what it is. And the other thing I love that you just said is to imagine that we're a community now of over 2 million people sharing those thoughts that you print that are healing everything around each of us. And collectively, that's a wonderful current of energy that we're just going to keep building. That's right. I mean, there's absolutely nothing bad about it. And, you know, pretty soon there is what's called the hundredth monkey effect where um, you're affecting people with your actions and the way you change your life, you're affecting people that you've never met right across, across the globe just by making changes, positive changes in your own life. And that's how we will shift the planet is one person at a time. And you know, it's a good time to remind your listeners that each one of us matters. Each one yeah. of us is important in this equation. And uh, it's really important that we step up our game and improve our life in any way that we possibly can. And, and that includes looking in all the places we don't want to look, all the all the dusty places, opening the closet and looking for the skeletons. And, you know, it can be uncomfortable, but it's, it's necessary work, and that's how we shift the planet into a new consciousness. It is necessary work. And I didn't know until your um, publicist sent me your information that you actually are responsible for the content in Daily Ohm. I knew your name was there, but I just, again, want to say how impressive that is. I recently have loved a few of them, and I thought for listeners who have yet to sign up until today uh, for the email that I would just mentioned some of my favorites, and these have been just over the last few weeks. Uh, One of them was the purpose of an altar, and 
I really love the way you simplify things and you don't ask the reader to read too much, but what you say is super specific and helpful. And many people, when they come into my office, are um, curious about an altar I have around my fireplace that my clients see. I have several altars around my home, but I never had heard it talked about so helpfully. And this is what Madison wrote. Uh, An altar, a, a daily practice near an altar, reminds you to take time for serenity each day. And that a candle, a decorative box, A vase of flowers are just a few of the common household items that lend themselves naturally to the creation of an altar. And so just that alone is such a beautiful way to help someone's life become more aligned and more spiritually, you know, connected to heart and serenity. And so just as an example with that daily ohm, tell us how you get your ideas, because I had never heard someone talk about an altar so helpfully and matter-of-factly and not with a religious connection, which is why I liked it. It's interesting that um, I sit in front of my altar when I ask um, Universe Spirit to help me with my um, ideas for content, and for me, my altar is just a reminder that I am a spiritual being in a physical body. And when I walk by it, it reminds me to stay present. And also, for me, I sit before her. I call her a her because I feel like she's taken on this energy. Um, and, yeah, so she's a reminder to me every day to, to be present and to do my work. And... As far as coming up with story ideas every day, it's, it's interesting. I really, after the first year, struggled with that because I needed to come up with five new story ideas every week. And after the first year, I started to think, oh, I'm out of ideas. And I decided that I would now take one day a week and take the pressure off of myself. And so one day a week, I wouldn't go to the office and I would stay home and start the day in front of my altar, and I would ask Universe to please supply me with the ideas that I needed for the week. And the reason I took time off work is because I wanted to dedicate the whole day to show that I was really serious about these ideas. And so it wasn't a day to have tea with friends or to run errands or to do gardening work or housework. It was a day devoted to daily om in the practice. And so um, spirit would always give me the ideas. I would sit at my altar, ask to be of service to humanity, and I'd have my notebook with me. And some days the ideas would come out, one, two, three, four, five, just like that. And other days it would take the entirety of the day, uh, entirety of the day to receive the information. And on some days I would maybe be asked to step outside and I would go outside and uh, they would show me something in nature which would become a story. So, yeah, just deciding to really work with spirit in collaboration of being of service rather than racking my own brain and being stressed about it. I thought, let's do this a little bit easier. And once I started that practice, it was never a struggle to Mm. come up with the five ideas that I needed for the week. Mm, That's such a helpful way for others to also take away the idea of asking self, where do you get your best information and open up that vessel and portal for that information to come through? Yes, I think often we are the ones standing in our own way. So I remove myself and get out of my own way and allow that flow to come in because that's what I was doing was just blocking my own flow with my fear that I wouldn't be able to get story ideas. And it's similar to, oh, the art of surrender, right? Just, I can't tell you how many times I've been bare naked on the bathroom floor, just surrendering to universe, surrendering to universe. And, Again, having an easier way of doing this, because as humans, we tend to make everything really, really difficult, and we don't put value on 
ease of flow and simplicity, and it can be that way if we set it up that way. So once I decided to work with Universe and set it up in a particular way, I sort of uncorked the um, the dam and allowed the creativity to flow much easier and to have that open channel and that open communication. And with the mention of being on the floor, I want to talk about your new book because mm. it's just wonderful. And I think the title is earth-shatteringly powerful, unmedicated, um, as we all live in such a medicated world. I yeah, love the it's title. Interesting that, um, I'm glad you like the title because there's an interesting little story that goes with that I think would be interesting to your listeners. Because, Tell us, yeah. Well, I received the name in meditation and um, because I was really struggling. I had the book done, and I was, again, struggling and fighting to get a title, and all these titles I was coming up with just didn't feel right. And so I decided, okay, let's make this easier. Let's let spirit help. So I went into meditation, and instantly that name popped into my mind, and it was um, such a powerful name, it actually shocked me a little, and I thought, immediately I got chills, and I thought, okay, this is it, but it scared me a little bit. And sure enough, when I started to send it out to publishers, I actually had to send it to my uh, to Hay House, who had published my first two books, and they didn't want to touch it with a 10-foot pole um, because it scared them. And Sure enough, as soon as I started sending it out to other publishers, they got back to me and they said, we love your book, we want to publish it, but you've got to change that title. And so this kept happening over and over and over. And eventually I got to the point where I said to my husband, you know what, these publishing houses have been in business for 100 years, they know what they're doing, maybe I really need to heed their warning and change my title. And... I felt uncomfortable about that, so I went back into meditation where all good things happen, and as soon as I got still, I instantly felt like I wanted to throw up, and I didn't even need to continue at that point. I knew what the answer was, that I needed to keep my title, because changing it wasn't what I was supposed to be doing, and I kid you not, the very next day, Simon & Schuster called me up and said, we love your book, and we love your title. I just needed to trust that what I was given was correct. And that was, you know, a really great test for me to to go through, to stick with my guns. So Mm, That's such a big one. And, you know, I want to just say a little bit about that because I often know and teach that that voice within that sometimes can only come through in meditation or movement for some people, but that voice is to be trusted. And when you go against it, you know you've gone against it because of what ends up playing out. Mm -hmm. Yet to access it can be really the motivation behind a daily practice. And we'll talk about your pillars in a moment that are part of this book. But I love that you stayed with the title. And I want to read what Dr. D. Adamo said about your book. He's the best-selling author of Eat Right for Your Blood Type, which lots of people love that book. And what he said about your book is that Madison Taylor has been a leader in the self-help and inspirational fields for over 25 years, and her work has impacted countless lives. With her new book, Unmedicated, she tackles the field of mental health and she provides inspiration and hands-on guidance in a compassionate and soulful way for anyone looking to help themselves or for their loved ones. And I love that he gave you the credit for tackling the field of mental health because really that is like, I'm going to bow down to you on that one because it is so layered and so much um, that is not right and that does not have anything to do with well-being or health. So for the listeners who have yet to get your book, let them know, if you would, as to why you were looking for relief from your suffering and why the floor was where you often found yourself. Yeah, well... um... So I grew up in Seattle in a dysfunctional household, and uh, I think my father was undiagnosed mentally ill, probably bipolar. He was a rageaholic. He drank too much. Um, My mother drank too much and had her own issues, 
and really didn't do anything to help save me. And uh, I ended up having my first panic attack when I was only in the third grade, which is extraordinarily young and unfortunate. But what happened was I was such a sensitive child, very shy, and of course I didn't know anything about being an empath or psychic or sensitive at the time, but what happened is I would, I would take in everything that was um, delivered in my household. So my father's rage, I would take that on and not know what to do with it, of course. So in order to save myself, I built myself a little safe haven in the closet of my bedroom um, and brought in a little lamp and a little typewriter, and I decorated my closet to, to be my safe place. And as time went on, I became more and more anxious. And um, by the time I got to high school, I was sweating, you know, down to my waist. I was, I was pretty much a mess, and I started experimenting with drinking and drugs and boys and doing anything I could to escape because I had no toolbox and um, no one to talk to, certainly no counselor uh, to help me through my issues that I had kept taking on, taking on through my dysfunctional family. Uh, After high school, I became really, really sick and I was diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome and I finally went to a neurologist because I was having such odd, odd symptoms um, that really weren't explainable. And he said to me, Madison, you're the sickest person I've ever met, and I have no idea what's wrong with you, Hmm. Uh, which, you know, is not something you want to hear. And so he gave me a prescription for Prozac, and I started, you know, down that uh, medical route. And I remember telling him, I said, but I'm not depressed, because I thought depressed people, you know, were severely overweight and just sat on the sofa and watched TV all day. That's what I thought depression looked like. I didn't realize that it can look like that, but that it could look like me as well. And I was so desperate, I took that first pill. I, I filled the prescription and I took the pill and I began to feel better. But that started what I call the hamster wheel effect, where I would max out on the dose for that medicine because my brain would get used to the medicine and I would need more and more and more. And so then the doctors would switch me to a new medicine and I would max out finally on that dose. And then they would say, well, you're having trouble sleeping. Here, take this. Oh, you're having more anxiety. We'll take this as well. And so pretty soon I had this cocktail of meds I was taking every day. And I finally thought, you know what? I'm in my 20s. I, I do not want to live the rest of my life like this on this medication cocktail on this hamster wheel. I've got to do something and get myself off this hamster wheel. And so that's what I decided to do. And so when you began that journey away from that medical medicated approach, give that listener a feeling for the difficulty of that space between thinking the answers were all in the pill and realizing that they're not, and then how to sort of redirect one's thinking Mm. so that they can gain the toolbox to guide their own mental serenity. Yeah. So this for me was in the mid-90s and there was no internet. So um, for me, all I had was Oprah, right? Like that's where you got your information from in those days. Thank God. Or the library or maybe a magazine article that was sitting in the doctor's office. So I was really running blind and... uh, I had no um, connection knowingly with spirit at the time But I had always, because I'd been suicidal since at least high school, always I had this little voice way deep down inside that said to me, you've got to keep going, things will get better. Uh, And that's helped me stay alive, A. And B, because I had tried to get myself off these meds on my own, because everyone gets to the point where they're just tired of taking a pill every day. It really doesn't matter what pill it is you're taking. 
I unfortunately tried to get off the meds myself and discovered that um, withdrawal from psychiatric meds is, is hideous. And not only hideous, it's actually very, very dangerous. But what I realized when I was going through the withdrawal and having these horrible, like, electric shocks in my brain and being completely laid out, uh, I realized how powerful that these drugs were in my body. And if the withdrawal could feel that bad, what was really going on with the medicine itself and what was really going on with my body? And I had the thought as I said, that I, I was so young and had the rest of my life ahead of me. But this holds true for whatever age you are, that we can get better and heal ourselves off these antidepressant and anti-anxiety meds, and even to some extent other meds as well, uh, if we have faith and trust that our, our bodies can heal uh, so for me, I just had an inner knowing that was strong, a strong compass, but I had no training on how to listen to the voice or what the voice was or where that compass would direct me. But I do know that on one particular day, the little green pill, the Prozac, gave me the strength to get out of bed and walk in my neighborhood, and I walked by a metaphysical store, or some people call it a new age store, a new thought store. And they were playing some meditation music, and I felt that it felt good to me. And so I walked in that store scared, because those kinds of stores scared me. I didn't know what all that stuff was, and those weird incense smells. <laughs> so I walked into the store, and I said, I want that CD. It, feels, it just sounds beautiful to me. And so that's really how my journey started, that uh, meditation music CD. It wasn't even a guided meditation. That's how I learned to sit and get quiet. I told myself, every day I'm going to put on the CD and listen to it. It was 40 minutes long. I was unable to work, so I had the time. And every day I did, at the same time, I sat in the same chair and I put on that meditation music. And that was enough to start an awakening for me. So I just believe that what you described is such an awakening that is infinitely important. And you gave the listeners something important to, to think about, which is sound. Um, so that space in between believing that all the answers are in a pill, and sometimes that pill is, as you say, what gets you out of bed and keeps you from harming yourself and gives you the energy to walk by the store. So it's not to say that the path that one may be on that is medically guided isn't right for you. Make sure you figure that out with your doctor or your guides that are trusted wellness experts but aside from that, I just want to note that the senses are going to be your guides towards your wellness, your natural wellness. As a, you know, your subtitle is the four pillars of natural wellness. Mm -hmm. So to get in touch with natural wellness, the sounds, the smells, the sensations, the feelings, the altar, these are the ways to kind of tap into that inner knowing that you're talking about. And I know a lot of people often say, but how do I figure out what that is? Or how do I tune into my intuition? And you just gave the listeners a great way to do it. Notice what you hear that mm -hmm. makes you feel relaxed and more centered and more conscious of that inner knowing. You know, feel something and then recognize when it takes you closer to that wellness source that everybody has. It's just been covered up by either these beliefs or these fears or the abuse or trauma of a childhood that didn't give you the, the freedom or the trust to know that there's this inner wellness that is the source that is far more powerful than anything ever in this world that you can experience you know, I think in our country, our intuition is not learned to be valued. And oh. I had to go through a process 
um, and the example of listening to my intuition about the title of the book is, is a great one. But for me, I actually started keeping an intuition journal. And every time, because we've all had those moments where we're like, why didn't I listen to that gut feeling? So I started keeping a journal just about intuition to write down what I'm feeling, what my options are, what, I act, what action I actually took, and then I can go back and read and see what did my gut feeling say and what did I actually do. And for me, because I'm a very um, visual person, that really helped me recognize um, what would happen when I didn't listen to that intuitive voice that we all have. And I think um, in our country, we, it just gets bred out of us. We're, uh, it's not valued, and so we're not taught as children to listen to that 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 inner voice, that gut feeling, or maybe it's a whisper for some people, but we all have that that compass, and starting to recognize it is a beautiful way uh, to help you work more in tune with spirit. Well, and I loved this part of your book. I'm looking at it right now on page 155. You talk about your typical day and action mm-hmm. to help the reader sort of sort out how to do this, a very practical approach. And you mentioned that, and, and I'd never thought about how smart this is, but you speak about having different journals, not just one journal, and that after meditation, you'll move into a 10 to 20 minute segment of journaling where you have a few different journals. One's dedicated to writing about your son. One is dedicated to your ongoing emotional healing, which I'm assuming you that's the intuition you mean, and that one is dedicated to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's when I talk about journaling, you know, I get the look and I know what the look means and <laughs> I don't know what to write. I don't know what to journal and um so I always say, you know, stop with the excuses and just do it. And I, I like to use my journals as a therapist, and so I break them up into different categories just for that purpose. So with my son, you know, he has a high intelligence at a very young age. He's gifted, and so that's a real struggle in my life. And so... I have a separate journal just to journal about that journey, and then maybe, or maybe not, I'll share with him when he gets older, or I can go back and refer to how things are actually getting better. Um, I've had various journals throughout the years. I've had some that are just for creativity, uh, creative inspiration, and doodling, and um, art projects I want to do, because my most important one is is for my emotional healing, and so I like to keep that one really pure in its form, working on um, prompted journaling questions and writing down what happens after meditation. And so if I put all these other things in that journal, it gets cluttered and I can't find what I'm looking for. So I love having a few different types of dedicated journals in my own life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so smart. And you said in the book, it's not that you have to write in each one each day. It's that when you do write, you know which book fits that directive and thought that's going through you. That's right. And the writing, you know, it's just for me. This isn't work that's going to be published. So I don't care about the spelling or how neat it is uh, or any of those things, the grammar. I just write uh, to, to free the space in my head and to get things on the paper. And I think a lot of people get hung up on that. It's one of the, besides, well, the first question I get is, you know, what should I write about? And the second question is, you know, it's this, this fear about, well, what if somebody reads my work? Or, um, you know, people will make any excuse possible. We're really great at self-sabotage. And, you know, I don't have neat handwriting, so I can't possibly be a journaler. Well, you know, I I have probably the worst handwriting of anybody I know, and I try to make my journal pretty, and but it's not. When the feelings come out, I'm writing a million miles a minute, and it's messy. But hey, <laughs> my emotions are messy, so it goes with the territory. Um, so we just want people to um, 
to really just start start the writing process and to let go of expectation and let go of some of these excuses that we can come up with. And, you know, I say I'm the CEO of self-sabotage and excuses. Um, I think that nobody can come up with more than I can. So um, I, I feel good in being able to direct people in that way. <laughs> if you can do it, they can do it. Exactly. Tell us what you mean by the importance of an energy check. What is an energy check? Yeah, so this is one of the optional items I have in the book. Um, So this is something that I do in the morning when I'm still in bed or in the shower if I haven't gotten to it while I was still in bed. And I really like to take the time... And I don't even have to do this every day, but now I can, I do it so fast, I can do it every day. And I like to just sort of start at my feet and scan up my body. Sort of if people can imagine, if you've ever taken a photocopy and left the lid open, that kind of light bar that goes over the page. And I sort of imagine that. And I like to just be in tune with my body and see okay, is there anything that's hurting today? Is there anything out of alignment? Is there anything that needs attention today? Is there any trouble anywhere brewing? And when you start connecting more to your intuition and having a meditation practice, this becomes easier for people, and you will notice things. And for me, it's not only aches and pains or um, muscular skeletal things, but I will notice things in my internal organs uh, that I take note of. And okay, is this something that I can shift myself? Is it? Is there an emotion attached to this? Is there a feeling attached to it? Am I feeling anxious or nervous about something that's happening in my day or my week coming up? Am I feeling some some grief somewhere? And so, really, it's just a checking in every day with my body because our bodies take on everything that we're thinking and feeling. And so by checking in, if I can spot something ahead of time, I like to be able to attend to it and give it some relief. And I find just by putting my attention on it, for instance, our livers, that's where we hold our anger in Chinese medicine. So if I notice when I'm scanning myself, oh, like I'll get stuck on my liver, I might see maybe a black or a gray spot on my liver, I'll just stop and say, hi, liver. And, you know, this is where you sound like a crazy cat lady, but, um, you know, I'll just say, hi, liver, and maybe give it a little massage and send it some love. And I find often that it just wanted to be noticed. And sometimes it'll speak to me and say, oh, you know, Let's let's attend to this anger that you've been hiding and not paying attention to. Um, you know, it's sort of like we all have our inner child, like that wants to be heard. And so the same thing is with our body. Our body parts all need to function together, and each one wants to be heard and listened to and attended to in the way that it needs to be attended to. And often that's just with sending it a little light, saying a nice thing about it, you know, thank you, stomach, for digesting my food. And, you know, then we're off to the races and we're good. So it's just, for me, a quick way to check in with my body every day. And it's a slow process, not as in a lot of time, but you mentioned in the book that if you know you have to get up and get your son to school and figure out the kind of rhythm and and routine around that, that's not the time to do an energy check. It's to do it when you have the time to really check in. Yeah, I think it's um, more respectful to your body if you have a window of time when you can take your time with it. Um, I'm so good at it now and can do it quick that um, I can really do it almost in 20 seconds at this point. Uh, But then I also will take the time at least once in a while to do it very slowly and methodically and with a lot of love and attention rather than in a rushed way. Um, so for me, um, having a quick session is better than having no session. And I've really found that by doing this practice, it's given me a new relationship with my body uh, because we all see the outside of our body every day, right? We look in the mirror and we see our face and our hair and we put lotion on our skin, um, but we don't really take the time to notice 
what's going on on the inside right? with all of our, our organs and our blood and our cells and the connective tissue and everything that makes up our beautiful selves. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's a great point. You know, going back to Daily Om, one of my favorites that you did recently also was around habitual anger. And since you mentioned the liver and habitual anger was the uh, theme of that Daily Mailer. And Madison wrote that anger is one of the most cathartic emotions and it can be a very effective cleanser of the emotional system. However, that when it becomes a habit, it loses its power to transform. Mm. I loved that. Well, you know, for me, anger was my go-to emotion. Instead of tears, I would get angry. Uh, And that's because of um, I spent most of my life in survival mode. And so I didn't I couldn't cry or have tears. That would mean I would get eaten by the wolf, right? That would mean I'd get eaten by life. So for me, it was always so much easier to just get angry. And, you know, what's under anger? Under anger is fear, and under fear is sadness. So it's just a layering. But so many of us just get caught in our go-to emotions. And for me, it just happened to be anger. And so when I really started to take notice of that, that sort of opened a whole new world of healing for me, right? We're also multifaceted. And so that was Hmm. another sort of um, facet or onion layer, if you will, that, okay, this is now something new I get to look at and explore my anger. Yeah. And it can be such a helpful guide, especially for women, I find, because it's such a prohibitive emotion in the emotional rainbow. Mm -hmm. But I really appreciated your point that you don't want to get stuck on it. You know, use it as it's there to guide you or teach you, but don't get stuck on it because then it will block those other layers that are part of that energy checking. Yeah, we tend to, we can sort of um, get stuck in our own story and... um, it's so much easier for people to just stay stuck in their anger and it's, you know, like they're they're drawing the line in the sand and this is where I'm at and they're kind of hunkered down football position, like ready to take on the world and they're just going to, I'm going to stay in my anger. And, you know, because that's um, where somebody is comfortable. And, um, and yes, as women in particular, we are taught that if you get angry, that's not okay, that's not feminine, and or that you're the B word. And, um, you know, and I think as we shift in society, we have to become, well, the pendulum always swings, right? So we tend to become very unbalanced before the pendulum comes back to the middle. So it'll be interesting in these coming years, all these uh, women letting their anger fly and what's going to happen with that. You know, don't get a mom angry. We'll see what happens. And um, mm. uh, allowing that then to resettle into a proper balanced place of um, having healthy anger and healthy sadness, right? There's the unhealthy levels and then bringing it back into into balance again. Yeah, yeah. So it makes something happen and then it levels out with what needed to happen ultimately, but often without that real surge, you can't get anything to happen. So it gives me hope to think of a lot of women, particularly mothers, um, joining the fight against some of these issues that are bigger than um, the government and or the choices that are being made in the power positions. Absolutely. Uh, But in order not to go down that road, I'm going to say, (laughs) let's go back to unmedicated. I wanted to tell everybody about the the four pillars because I had said earlier that I would mention it. Oh, and I also wanted to just comment on something important you just said about um, that you can reach that state of energy checking within 20 seconds. Um, I, I loved that because in meditation, it's similar in that if you practice every day, you can reach a certain state within a minute that might take 20 minutes in the beginning. But by practicing every day, whether it's an energy check or meditation or both simultaneously, you do get to a point where you can receive that benefit and reward within seconds. So that's another great 
motivator for why this work is so important and worth it. So the four pillars, let's talk. We have one pillar, which is to clear your mind. Two is to nurture your spirit. Three is to strengthen your body. And four is to find your tribe. So what would you like to say about the four pillars of your new book? Well, the most important thing for me, um, your listeners are probably thinking, well, this isn't anything new. I'm not learning anything groundbreaking. And in the book, I make the point that um, healing yourself, and if you want to become unmedicated or not, uh, it doesn't need to be expensive or complicated. It can be simple and that there's a lot of power in simplicity. However, I've presented these pillars to be worked as a program. So it's not one of these books where you can say, oh, I'm going to just do this one thing. Yes, that one thing will definitely be helpful for sure. But I like people to take action. I need people to take action in their lives. So just thinking the thoughts is not good enough. We need to take physical action in our life. And for me in this book, taking action on all of these pillars is what's going to set up the shift. So thoughts alone aren't going to change your life enough, but adding the actions into it will. So by practicing all of these pillars, we're shift, setting up the shift for um, changing your life. And it also, what it does is it tells spirit, God, universe, hey, I'm ready. And it gets you on the same page, and you are now a team working together because every day you are committing to taking these action steps. And I guarantee you, you will be rewarded in kind with the help and the backing of spirit. Well, and I also, if I may add to that, I thought it was so helpful when you said that although there's no definitive cure for anxiety and depression, that these four pillars are a safe, effective, and natural way to battle the debilitating symptoms. Mm Mm-hmm. That is a real motivator to embrace all four as well. Absolutely. And at the end of the book, I actually talk about how I will probably always have one little toe in depression and anxiety. And I think that some people are absolutely able to heal completely. But for me, because I'm on this path to help humanity, I need to keep a little toe in it. So I remember what it's like you know, to be naked on the floor begging to die and to never forget that so that I can keep helping people. But I have seen people heal, and I am basically healed, but I just have that one little, you know, pinky toe still in that world so I can help people. Um, My healing has been miraculous, to be honest, and sometimes I get on my knees in the shower in absolute gratitude for my life, and if I can think back from all those years I was suicidal, I would have never thought I would be able to get to this point where I would say I'm grateful for my life. I'm excited to get out of bed every day now. I would not have thought that possible, but these pillars, this program is my lifetime of work getting to the place where I'm at now where I love life and I work my own program every day. I walk my talk and, um, you know, I need to. I absolutely need to uh, for my own well-being. Well, I love what you said here where you wrote, if I feel myself slipping into old patterns, I quickly dive into each of the four pillars 100% until I am stable enough to pull back ever so slightly. I know myself well enough to dance the dance, and I understand where my perfect point of balance resides. Yeah, um, you know, I've got my husband on my team, too, and I he... We've been together 27 years, so he really knows me, and he knows if he sees me on the sofa watching old black and white movies for more than a day, you know, he'll say something to me, and that's like, oh, yep, you're right, I need to get out and take my walk, or I need to write in my journal, or I need to meditate, and 
you know, having a down day is perfectly human and perfectly normal, but we have to recognize when we start getting off that track and going into, you know, down the rabbit hole. So for me, we all need a day in bed, right? Watching old movies, maybe eating something naughty that we shouldn't Mm -hmm. eat or, you know, especially on a rainy day or... Um, or on a day we feel like we need to process some things, but it's when it becomes um, two days, three days, a week, a month, you know, we need to then really check ourselves and be really honest with ourselves. Am I in trouble right now? Is, you know, am I, am I needing some help or I'm okay. I just am in some deep processing right now, or I'm in a healing um, sort of, containment right now, like if we've just gone through something big, we might need a little time of rest to go in our burrow. And so being really honest with ourselves um, and catching ourselves on our sabotaging ways, which we're so good at, uh, and recognizing when we need to call for help, whether it's a friend or a professional, or in my case, working my program again. Yeah. I love what Mariel Hemingway said about your book, which was, long needed are words that inspire people to seek help for behavioral issues through taking responsibility and living a mindful life, addressing all of our incredibly important daily activities. So that's very important to get back when you have a day in the cave or you go in the back of the cave, got to get back to the four pillars and re-enter the world. Madison, tell us where you are on social media. Well, people can find me at dailyom.com or my own personal website, madisontaylor.com. And Madison is M-A-D-I-S-Y-N instead of O-N. And I'm on Facebook and Instagram. Where else am I? I think that's it. (laughs) Just about everywhere. Well, it has been such a delight to talk to you. And again, I just want to thank you. And I'm sure all these other millions of people wish they could thank you directly, too. Um, You've saved lives with the work you're doing. And you're living the work that you're doing. And thank you for that. Thank you so much for what you offer and what you share. It's my pleasure. I, I, I can't not do it. It's 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 in me, and if I can only just plant a seed in somebody to blossom later, I'm happy with that. If people's life change, I'm thrilled with that. Uh, I'll take whatever I can get, and I get the most beautiful email from people every single day, and it's just an honor to serve in this way. And make sure you go out and get this beautiful book entitled Unmedicated, The Four Pillars of Natural Wellness. Thank you, Madison Taylor. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Feel Good Naked Radio with Laura Redmond. Please join us again for new shows every month on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until our next show, be you and feel great in your own skin.